You know, it's our pleasure to have, uh, as part of our fellowship for, gosh, a number of years now, Daniel and Susan Kimitho and their, their family, principally Sam and Esther, and uh, have been a part of their world here since they've been here. And a couple of weeks ago, maybe a few weeks ago now, uh, Susan and I were talking, and she told me a story. And I said, you got you got to share that story. So, Susan, please come share your story. Welcome. the Lord. I'm glad to be here today. Thank you, uh, Pastor Tom and Karen, for giving me the opportunity to share um, this uh, story. It's always an honor and a privilege for me to talk about the goodness of God. And I will tell anybody about what God has done because he is very special to my heart. Uh, my dad was sick. Um, about five years ago, he had prostate cancer. We didn't know and when he wa- went to the hospital, he was told that he had stage four of prostate cancer. Uh, we continued praying. We were told by the doctors what he had, but we continued praying. We, s- we believed that it's what God says. It's not what the doctors say. And, and thank God for the wisdom that he's given men to be doctors but we, we believe that God had, has the final say. So after some time and after praying for my dad, and um, my grandfather was a man of God. He, he loved God. And um, he kind of started the movement of Christianity in our area. But my dad had always rebelled against that. So he, con- he had continued praying for him. He never gave up. And... Um, and my, da- my grandfather passed. That's who taught us about God. My dad was not teaching us, but my grandfather. So the grandfather's here. You know, it's a wonderful impact. Because whenever I talk about loving God, I tell people it's my grandfather who taught me about God. So the grandfathers, we have a job. I'm a grandmother too, so we have a job. So my dad was sick, and I left here and went home. Um, And when I went, I told my sisters, I said, I feel in my spirit that this sickness is to tell my dad or to change my dad from the way he's been going. And I, but I went home and we prayed when I was there, he did not receive Christ, but I never gave up. Something in me just told me not to give up. When I came here, I was told he gave his life to Christ. I mean... It was so wonderful for me to hear that. So he received Christ and he was a Christian. Then about uh, at the beginning of this year in March, my dad collapsed at one of the, you know, he went to the store, then he collapsed. They didn't know what was wrong with him. He was taken to the hospital again, and he took some time to come out of the, you know, a coma or confusion. And when he, after two days, we were told that he has a brain tumor. And we were told that was in March this year, that it was growing very fast. And the doctors gave him a few weeks to live. In fact, I I teach. I had to leave school in March and go home to Kenya. My, My home country is Kenya. So I went. He was very sick. 
he couldn't even stand. We, we had to support him to stand and everything. But we did not give up. I mean, we could see he was sick. The doctor said it was, you know, the tumor was growing very fast, and they measured it. They said it was 10 centimeters, and they said it was growing very fast. We continued praying because I believe it's what God says. So uh, the Lord taught me not to look at my circumstances or what's going on, just to know who I belong to, and that's what drives me who I belong to, not what I can see. So we continued praying, and I came back because I had come back. I had to come back to school. I came back in April, and uh, when I left, I told Pastor Tom what was going on, and I remember he took my hands because I told you know, I told him my dad is very sick. What's happening? He took my hands and prayed for me and told me when you go home, place your hands on your dad and pray for him, and God is going to heal him. So uh, I went home again, and I, we prayed. I told my dad what Pastor Tom had said. He agreed, and we prayed. After about two weeks, um, um, one of the doctors said, let's go to another doctor, not to the one who had uh, diagnosed him. But we could see he was going down because he couldn't even remember some things. We took him to another doctor, and this time this doctor told us that my dad had, had been misdiagnosed. He does not have a brain tumor. Um, and when I looked at that, I'm like, you know, you can talk, call it misdiagnosis. I call it divine healing. Because for me, see, for me, I believe in divine healing. So, and all glory and honor to God. So when uh, we were told that, and my dad had that, he, it's like something just made him change. He had lost weight. He couldn't stand. Two of us had to hold him on either side to help him stand. If he was in a car, we had to help him out. In about a week, my dad was strong. He had come out of the weakness. And I called home yesterday, and I'm told how well he is doing. And I wanted to stand here. I'm so glad to stand here because I want to um, encourage somebody. It does not matter what is going on. It, I mean, it may be the biggest thing in the world, but God is able. That's the message, that God is able to take you from whatever he needs to take you from. And God may choose to do whatever, but God is able. So God bless you. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, I was uh, sitting in the presence of the Lord, and one of one of those remarkable moments, you know how they come? I, I, don't, I don't have them all the time. I don't, know. I don't know if you can. I guess maybe some people can, but uh, you just have some of those times. It's a remarkable sense of his presence. You know, like everything was right. All the right lines were intersecting. Everything was quiet. I was away from my normal... Surroundings were actually on vacation. 
I was I was rested. <laughs> Miss America was still sleeping. And it was just one of those times that it was right. And I knew I was falling into that that cool place with God. That place where his welcome is so profound. And uh, you, you, well, that place, you know, where you just sit in his unceasing approval. You know that place? In spite of everything you know about yourself and knowing that he knows it all too, you're just sitting in the flow of his love and the flow of his unceasing approval. I was in that place, and it was going on for quite some time. And uh, the word of the Lord came to me. I didn't hear words. It's just that intrusive thought. Bam! It's like, I I, I know I didn't just think that, you know. And uh, the word of the Lord that came to me was, Tell them about the sacred center. (laughs) Tell them about their sacred center. And so, just spending time with the Lord in, the, in His presence and the power of the Holy Spirit and unpacking that and just asking, well, what, what is that, Lord? We just had this remarkable extended time together in which I feel like the Lord showed me something that I now understand from Scripture, so I guess you could call it a revelation or an enlightenment, or an inspiration. I don't know what words you like to use there, but it was something I came away from that I didn't have before that. And uh, what I got was that each person, each person, every single one of us, is created by God with an eternal center which bears the image of God. There's some part of us, it's not physical, it's not emotional, it's not intellectual, and it's not theoretical, though it's real. There's some part of us that that's the deposit of the eternity of God in us and bears his image. And he was in the context of this time with him, he was calling that, the term that kept coming was our sacred center. Our sacred center. And this is essentially the place in each of us that has the capacity through Jesus to experience the unceasing approval and unconditional love of the Father. That's the receptor. That's the place in us that experiences that, that does cause an emotional enjoyment, that does cause an intellectual sense of understanding. But essentially, it's a spiritual moment. It's a sublime spiritual moment that we have when the Lord comes to that place in us that's eternal, that place in us that bears the image of God and receives his forgiveness, receives his approval. It's more than just, okay, I forgive you. It's like, oh, welcome, son. And he kept calling this, or I guess maybe that's, 
the, the phrase that kept coming to my mind was, it's our sacred center, our sacred center, our sacred center. And um, I believe that the reason that, that God loves our sacred center is because it's the part of us that bears his image. And so that in loving our sacred center, God who is perfect is loving himself. You know God is bound to approve of himself. God is bound to love himself because he's perfect. And he loves and approves of that which is perfect, yes? And so in some strange way, not in like a cosmic egotistical way, but in a very perfect and healthy way, God has bound himself, if you will. Nobody binds God, but God has bound himself by his own unique self-design to love himself. And so wherever the image of God lives in us, God approves of and loves us unconditionally. And that I was getting this understanding is something that was called our sacred center, at least in our conversation. And he said, tell you, so here we are. And that the sacred center is the place in us where we can properly love ourselves. Why? Because we're loving God. This image of God planted within us. And there we can love ourselves without being self-centered because we're actually loving God who is living in us there. I was somewhat reluctant to go public with the phrase sacred centers because of its association with the chakras of the Hindu religion, actually. That's not what I mean. That within Hinduism and some of Buddhism, there is a teaching that we have a metaphysical body and there are seven centers, seven sacred centers, but they're called chakras. And they can be represented by our will, by love is another one, by our association with the outside world and stuff like that. And the whole point of those religions is to bring energy to those sacred centers. But that's not, not what I'm talking about. Did everybody hear that? If we choose to put this online, all of my friends listening online, that's not what I'm talking about. (laughs) I'm talking about one place in every single one of us that is the center of the image of God in us. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the Bible says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. I love that. God has set eternity in the hearts of men. So that as a subset, if you will, of our hearts, he has taken eternity and he has set it in our hearts. Bam. And this distinguishes us from the rest of the created order. I'm not going to answer the question, do dogs go to heaven? I know that's an important question for you. All I know is the Bible says God has set eternity in the hearts of men. And so in setting eternity in us, he has created a sacred center. And in setting eternity in us, it's the place where the image of God dwells. Let me walk you through a very simple three-step teaching to try to explain this thing that I believe God spoke to my heart. We'll start in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. 
So in the midst of this remarkable thing God is doing in creating the heavens and the earth and bringing matter into being. Genesis chapter 1, in the midst of the creation, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image. Our, who are we? (laughs) But the beauty of the Trinity, which has forever existed. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So as part of the created order, we are, cra- we are crafted with a stamp of divinity on us. Boom. A stamp of the image of God. That's part of our essential creation. So that every single human being that walks the face of the earth or who has ever walked the face of the earth had the distinctive quality of being stamped with the image of God. Now if you read on, you see some bad stuff happens. And the devil comes and successfully fouls all that up in a way that while God's intention was to create us in his image and to have, catch this, fellowship with us, that his divinity would connect with his divinity in us, not our divinity, I'm not saying we're gods, but his divinity in us, that that was interrupted by the fall of man in original sin. So the man was put out of the garden, the fellowship was broken, and yet a remnant of the image of God remains in every person so that by the time we get to Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, but God has set eternity in the hearts of men. So while it's a fractured fractured image of God, a substantially reduced image of God compared to his original intention for us in the garden, it's still there. And in that way, we bear Bear the image of God. And so you have a sacred center, every one of you. Every, listen, every person on the earth has a, a remnant, however small, however undeveloped, a remnant of the image of God. And we see that from this passage. Now, flip all the way through lots of history and poetry and kings and prophets And along comes, get ready to cheer, Jesus. (laughs) Along comes Jesus. Lo, these many centuries later, along comes Jesus. God incarnate. That is, God in the flesh. Not Not a man with the image of God in him, but a man with the full image of God in him. Fully God, fully man. 200%. You deal with it. I don't know either. <laughs> and so here comes Jesus, who's in as the incarnate Son of God, as the person of God on the earth, has a plan. And the plan is to do a redemptive work on the cross, to die on the cross for our sins, original sin, which broke the full image of God, distorted it, held it captive, 
So that Jesus comes, dies on the cross, and sets us free, is, gives his life as a ransom, and we are set free. To do what? To be born again. What's born again? I didn't get any younger when I asked Jesus. My body continues to age at a rapid pace. What was born again? The center. The sacred center. John 3, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom unless he's born again. You can't see it. Your eyes are too small. You know, you have the fractured image of God living inside of you, but it's like, I still can't see nothing. I have a sense of eternity. I have a fear of eternity, but I don't see anything. And the Bible says that there's some that, the, that the, their eyes are veiled to the gospel. Have you ever shared the gospel with someone? They're going, I'm sorry, I just don't get it. And you try to be more persuasive or more intelligent or more creative. And you're going, I'm sorry, I still don't get it. Because this is the evangelism and conversion is the work of God. We just bear witness. So their eyes are closed. But he said, you can't see it unless you're born again. Well, how can a man be born again when he's old? Nicodemus asked, surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the Spirit. That you, the Spirit in you. Some people call this the Spirit man. And for some reason, God says, call it the sacred center. I don't know if he's just trying to mess with our heads or what, but he's just trying to get our attention. That there's something living inside of you, Matt Corlett, that's eternal. You're an image bearer of God. Eternity is set inside of you. And when you were born again, then that person came to life. It's that sacred center that's going to exist forever. God has set eternity in the hearts of men. It's that sacred center that's going to exist forever. If God has set himself in us, then there is a part of us that's going to live forever because God God is eternal. So that conscious part of us is the thing that's going to live forever. Now the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, so when this dies, that we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. And it says, meanwhile, we groan and are burdened while we're in this tent and say, man, I can't wait until what is, what is mortal will be swallowed up by what is life. And so when the, when the body falls away, the sacred center lives. Born again. For those who come to Christ, for those who turn to God through his plan, Jesus Christ, the redemptive work, then that life, that's the person who goes to heaven. Why? Because they're alive. That's the part of us that lives forever. Now, keep going and then we'll tie this in a nice bow. Pat you on the head and send you home. Don't you love bows? I don't find many bows in the Bible. <laughs> like, okay, what do we do now? First John, First John chapter 1, the part that Pastor Tony read just a few minutes ago. John, same guy who wrote the account of Jesus saying the thing to Nicodemus, now he's talking from the standpoint of much later, 
that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked at in our hands of touch, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. He's going, it's real. It's absolutely real. The life appeared, we've seen and testified to it. He's talking about Jesus. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. So it was with the Father, came in the incarnate Son of God. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard, so that you, what, may have fellowship with us. What, what happened in the garden? What was lost? Fellowship. Fellowship. This thing called fellowship with God was lost. Fellowship with one another was substantially threatened. Next thing you know, you have brothers killing each other in the garden, right? But he says, so this has all happened. Jesus has come to give you life so that you may have fellowship with us. Look at the next line. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this to make your joy complete. So the work of Jesus is to restore fellowship. What's fellowship? It's a divine connection between two sacred centers. Hello? You know what I'm talking about? It's a, it's a connection between two sacred centers. I really like Atul Pande. I like you, man. I mean, I would like you if we weren't Christians. I could see myself totally hanging out with you and maybe working together, the whole deal. You're, you're just, I like you, man, okay? And I know you like me, too, because I'm cool, too, right? I don't know, so that's all good. But there's something deeper now, isn't there? I mean, brother, there's, there's, a, there's a divine connection. And it's like, it's not something that's so much in our heads as it is in some other place. And we call it our hearts, but it's even deeper than that. It's like a subset of our hearts. And it's my eternity connecting with your eternity through the eternity of Jesus now. And this is what fellowship is meant to be. Same thing with you, Rick Albert. I would like you, even if we weren't Christians. I would like you. Maybe more. <laughs> I don't know. We, we could have some fun. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> but we got There's something else, man. There is something else that's this unbreakable kind of connection. Because we, we get each other, but it's not, it's not just here, is it? It's like, bam, it's like something God does. Same thing, Brian. I would ride motorcycles with you anywhere, even if we weren't Christians. But there's something better, man. There's something eternal, unbreakable. And this is the plan of God for us, is that we would have this deal here. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, Mike. He says, this is the point of being born again. So, my question, since I feel like the Lord spoke this to me and said, tell them about the sacred centers, is, so what does all this have to do with extravagant welcome? It's my plan to talk about extravagant welcome. (laughs) What does all this have to do with it? (laughs) It has everything to do with it. Because when we think about one another, apart from all of the external trappings... And think about one another as image bearers of the image of God, as men and women and young people in whom God has set eternity, then we all become equal treasures. Did you hear this? We all become equal treasures. We are treasure to God by his own words. We become treasures to one another when we get through the outside stuff. We become equal treasures. 
And so our welcome then, our extravagant welcome as a fellowship here in this part of the earth is to be people who look through the outside to the inside and understand one another and not esteem one over the other as we talked about last week, but to understand that we are all equal treasures to God because of the essential nature of his image that he has put inside of us. And he has not given more of the blood of Jesus to one person than he has to another. But we are equal treasures. And so when we greet one another, when we love one another, when we, listen, when we learn this, when we get embraced by this connection between brothers and sisters that's so far beyond, yeah, I like that guy. But man, there's some kind of solid spiritual connection. When we get there, the welcome happens automatically. We don't have to work at it. We just see people who come, you included, new people, whatever, as treasures. They're treasures sent by God. They're treasures. You are a treasure. And we see them as equal treasures. Not man, did you see that one guy? Man, he's messed up. That's the outside. It's not man. You know that one lady, man, she's been going for 20 years. She's still messed up. That's the outside. That's the outside. Let's say inside is the sacred center, the deposit of the image of God that now, because we have turned to Christ, has been born again. I don't know. <laughs> Does any of this landing? Is it? I mean, I'm not... I don't know. It's hard to explain, but I guess... What I want you to understand, and I don't mean this in any manipulative way, I want you to understand, you are a treasure to God. You are a treasure to God. Yeah, but but all my stuff, that stuff falls away. In the center of you, you got a soft, chewy center in there somewhere. (laughs) That you are a treasure to God, an equal treasure. And the whole business of the church is God, if you will, amassing for himself his treasure. (laughs) So this is the way in which, you know, I've been talking so much about the love of God, love of the Father, let's go there, let's go there. This is the way in which I think it's best to understand one way to understand why it is that God loves you unconditionally in spite of your behavior because you're a treasure to God. And no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you did last night and are planning to do later today, you are treasured us. And because we are growing in our understanding of how valued we are to God by His grace, and we're learning how to love ourselves properly in the midst of this, then we value you the same, and we love you, and we value you the same. Quick, quick question for, for you. Are you living from your sacred center? Are you living from that? 
Are you living from that? Or are you still in search of it? Those cool moments that you have with God, sometimes they're in here. It feels kind of emotional sometimes, but you go, man, that's, I only have it here. <laughs> Anybody? I really only have it here. That's, that's the, that spirit person. That's the sacred center waking up. And that's what you want to feed. That's what you want to embrace. If you study the classical disciplines of the church through the centuries, like prayer and fasting and worship and confession and solitude and silence and study and all these kind of things, meditation, if you look at how the saints have, have grown through the, through the centuries now, you see that every one of these is a way into the sacred center where the sacred heart of Jesus then can love your sacred heart. Are you born again? Want to be? Are you born again? Have you come to the place of going, oh, okay, so it is really not about my behavior, but about this essential person that God created in me, and I want to invite Jesus to come in and to give me his life. Forgive all my sins, because that's the thing that's killing my sacred center, right? That's the thing that has it in prison. Forgive me of all of my sins. And bring life to me as my Lord to live in the midst of that so he can lead me to places where my myself, that, that eternal part of myself can grow. That's what it means to be born again. You want to be? If I were you and I was saying, yeah, I want to be here, I would, I would pray a prayer that went something like this. And I can't pray it for you, but I, here's, here's what I would do. I would, I would say, God, I want that. Amen. But you didn't say, I received Jesus as Savior and Lord of my life. You didn't say, I believe the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You didn't. I would just say, God, I want that. So, Lord, we come to this place in our time where we, we don't really know what to do. We don't really have a plan here. We just want you to be free to bring your kingdom to bear on us and get us in touch with this part of ourselves that lives and has those, those times with you. And so I, I invite you, Holy Spirit, to by all means touch my heart, touch every heart, every sacred center in us today. Come on, Lord. Just come. Show us what it is that's standing in between us.